youngsters, we do give you a terrific welcome and we trust that you feel very much at home amongst us. Just before we dive into the message, uh, I was just reminded of something that, it's funny how things happen, wash over you when you're uh, in a worship service because as Josh led us in Ezekiel in chapter 37, I just, it just came to me like a thunderbolt. That was the first message I ever preached in Ilkeston. That was before I actually came to Ilkeston. And I encouraged the guys to prophesy to the town and believe for those dry bones to, to live. And I was just, you know, just in awe. Just as I was there, I was thinking, God, you're so amazing. And here we have, you know, a young leader just encouraging us to do exactly the same in Mansfield and believe God to do something extraordinary in our midst. He wants to do it. Do you know that? Yeah. About four of you believe that. I'll say it again. He wants to do it, you know. Yeah. But he has to cooperate with us. He cooperates with people. And uh, we're believing. So the very thing that we're encouraged to do this evening, let's not just be a moment that we've had with Jesus. Let it be carried over into our tomorrow's devotional, into our, you know, Monday afternoon's coffee, into our, you know, all the things that we do, the the to and and fro of life. Let us just continue to speak to those dry bones and prophesy uh, the bones to come back to life and breath to enter them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've really, really enjoyed this series called The Blessed Life. And I just want to say at the very beginning that we, we, ha- we're not, we haven't just de- devised this series because we need more money. The reality is we don't. We don't need more money. Um, well, we could always do with some, but that's not the purpose of why we're doing it. It's not because we're in the middle of a building project, a, a capital campaign. It's none of those things. The reason why we felt very strongly that we needed to lay in this teaching into the life of the church because we want to teach you to live a blessed life. And part of living a blessed life is out of the understanding of what that means with regards to our finances. The whole thing of stewardship and generosity and the tithe. And over the last few weeks, we've been able to unpack that. And if you've missed one of those, I'd encourage you to just listen to it on podcast. You will be blessed. And you will receive something from the Lord. But tonight I'm going to be talking about something that I don't think I've ever preached before other than this morning. I don't think I've ever uh, heard anybody speak about this message other than the man who inspired this whole series called Pastor Robert Morris. Because I want to talk about breaking the spirit of mammon. Breaking the spirit of mammon. You may say, well, I have no understanding what mammon is. Well, we're going to come to that in a moment But I want to pray and I want to ask the Lord to help us because it is a particularly interesting subject that as we speak about things like this, there is immediately a spirit that is at work that wants to stop you hearing this message. I'm mindful of that. So I want to pray. So Father, we submit now our hearts, our minds, our ears to you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come as you are already here, but you would come. And you would inspire us. And Lord, the words that I'm about to share, I honestly mean this with all my heart. Those words that you want these great people to hear, let them hear. And those words that are from me, may them fall to the ground. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Messages like this build us. They build us. They're not there to tickle us. There are some messages where you get pumped up. We've all been to conferences and we get pretty pumped up. And I've got no problem with that. So please, if you, you, know, if you like that and you think I'm having a bash of that, I actually like conferences. Conferences are good. You know, sometimes it's good to just have a good 
laugh, isn't it? We've just had a week away on holiday and we've just laughed the whole from start to finish. It's been wonderful, but life's not a holiday. And there's some things that have to be laid into our lives if we're going to be built into the men and women of God that God wants us to be. There's messages like this that build into the life of the church that need to come to us as a church because what God wants to do amongst us is far beyond what you are presently seeing here. God wants to do something amazing amongst us. Therefore, he has to build something into our hearts. And so we're going to talk about this break in the spirit of mammon. I wonder if you're turning your Bibles to Luke in chapter 16. We're going to have it on the screens. And we're reading from the New King James Version. And as you turn there, I want to say that this word mammon is only used four times in the entire Bible. It's mentioned four times in the New Testament, and every reference is given to Jesus using this word. And actually, it's three times it's mentioned in the book of Luke, and we're just about to read it. And the other time is the same sermon. And Jesus uses this word, and it's recorded in Matthew. And so, let's begin, shall we, from verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when, they, when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what, in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. The New International Version uses the word no one. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. I just want to carry on to one verse. It won't be on the screens because I was just reading it this afternoon. It says this. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of mammon, of money, also heard all these things and they derided Jesus. Jesus is using a contrast. It's contrasting between both God and mammon. He uses the statement, you cannot serve two masters. You're either serving one or you're serving the other. You make the choice. Are you going to serve, you know, speaking to a crowd, are you going to be one who serves the Lord, serves God, or are you going to serve mammon? You may be asking yourself the question, well, Christian, you've mentioned this word mammon probably about a dozen times now. What is mammon? Well, many people just put it down to the fact that it means money or riches. And it does have absolutely a reference, a connection with money and riches. But I have to say, I believe it goes far deeper. And I believe Jesus is addressing this far deeper in a much deeper way amongst the people. Because it's interesting that Jesus uses the word mammon. It was a word that would have been known by the people, by the hearers of this word. It was an Aramaic word. And it was a word that they 
knew about because they understood it to be a false god. It was a Syrian god of riches. Mammon was a Syrian god of riches. It was a false god that they knew about. So when Jesus used the word mammon, they fully understand, understood what he was saying. Mammon comes from Babylon. And anybody who knows a little bit about the Bible, you'll know that in Genesis chapter 11, there was a group of people who decided that they were going to build a towel, tower. It was called the Tower of Babel. And they said to themselves that we will not need God. We can get to God all by ourselves. We can, we've got the, you know, the intelligence. We've got the strength. We've got the know-how. And we won't need God if we can get, get there. And God saw it and came amongst them and brought confusion amongst them. And this particular Syrian people came from Babylon. And it was all to do with confusion And we see here clearly that mammon has its roots in the whole thing to do with not needing God. The whole thought of it was, we do not need God. The spirit of mammon says to you and to I and to the culture of the day and to the culture of this day that we do not need God. Mammon says to each and every one of us that I have everything that I need. This spirit, and I want to use the word carefully, but I really, really believe it is a spirit, is arrogant and prideful. I have to say, as I look across the world and as I look across the church and as I've looked at my own heart, there have been times when I believe this, this spirit has been at work amongst the church and maybe even in my heart too. And that is why God comes to us as he does In messages like this, because he digs very deep into our hearts. Because he wants us to be servers uh, and lovers of God and not of anything else. You see, Mammon looks for servants. We've read it here. It says, no servant can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Mammon is looking for servants. Many are looking to Mammon, as, as I've already said just a moment ago. And they don't even know it. They don't even know it. They're living by the spirit of mammon and they don't even know it. As soon as we mention money and riches and wealth and prosperity in the Bible, this immediately some people go to the negative connotation of the prosperity gospel, the prosperity message. Let me be clear here. The gospel is all about prosperity. The gospel is all about it's, 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 a, it's a gospel that redeems. It's a gospel that lifts. It's a gospel that changes lives. It's a gospel that takes us from darkness into life. Absolutely. But I want to say the selfishness of the prosperity gospel is not what I am talking about tonight. Because that, I believe, is rooted in the spirit of mammon. Let me just help you to understand something. Because the prosperity gospel, in its most negative form, says this. If you will give, you will get. If you will give this, you will get this. If you give this amount of money, if you sow this seed, you will de- definitely, you know, triple it, quadruple it. We've got a lady in, in our campus in, in Ilkeston. She keeps giving me letters. She's obviously been on the God channel. She's clearly sent some money in at some point. And now as a result of that, she is literally being bombarded by all different kinds of pr- letters 
that are prophesying the things that are to come if she is to sow a seed. She only spoke to me just a few weeks ago and said, what, what should I do with it? Pastor, she, that's how she addresses me. Pastor, what should I do with it? I said, put it straight in the bin. <gasps> we can't do that. It's God's message to me. I said, let me tell you, there's millions of people who've had the same message. What they are doing here, and I want to be very, very clear, is that they are, uh, they are leading people into a give-to-get mentality. And instead of sowing a generous spirit into us, it actually sows into our hearts. And those who take this line, hook, line, and sinker, it sows greed and, and selfishness right into the spirit of your heart. Because then you think, I'll give this and I'll get this. And this is completely opposite to the spirit of the day. Are you hearing me tonight? It's completely opposite to what Jesus is all about. As I said, we're all about the prosperity gospel. We're all about the, pros- the, the gospel lifting us. But we're not interested in the spirit of mammon that can so easily get entrenched in people's spirits. Let me say people who have this spirit of mammon get mad with God fairly regularly. Usually it happens when something breaks. When something breaks and when something breaks down, they immediately blame God. They immediately blame God. It's interesting that I was just recording this as we were driving in. In the last two months, we've had the refrigerator break down, we've had the washing machine break down, and we've had the tumble dryer break down. Listen to me, that's life. Suck it up and get on with it. That's the best pastoral, you know, spirit you're going to get from me. Suck it up, guys. Things break. As things get older, they break. Don't be thinking that you are exempt from things getting broken. Because it just happens to all of our lives. But I've realized that those who operate out of the spirit of mammon, they get very mad with God. And the Bible's very, very clear because what does it read? We've read it already. It says here, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Those who have the spirit of mammon on them are often, and things start to break, they start to despise God. They start to say, I am loyal to mammon, and this God, look at what he's done to me. You see, mammon wants to take the place of God. It promises everything that only God can give. You may say, what are you talking about? Are you sure about this? I'm absolutely sure. Because mammon, the spirit of mammon will say to you, you get money, you get riches, you'll get identity. You get riches, you get money, you'll get security. You get riches, you get money, you'll get significance. You get money, you get riches, and you'll be happy. I want to say all those things, identity, security, significance, and happiness, are only found in God. There are only, if you are here tonight, you have no knowledge of God. I want to say the only way you're going to find true happiness, true peace, true joy is found in Jesus Christ. And his offer is for every single one of you tonight. Don't live the lie. It's a lie that if you get money, that's how you're going to know, you know, you're going to be happy. Only God can give you those things. You see, mammon wants to rule. He wants to rule over you. He wants you to bow to it. He wants you to serve it. He wants you to worship it. Notice the language. No servant can serve two masters. This is not just talking about money. There's a spirit behind it. 
And as I've said, God is already our provider, our security, our help. Some people say this, if I had more money, then I'd have the right kind of car and the right kind of house and the right kind of clothes and go on the right kind of holidays and I'd be happy. I'd, have a, I'd definitely have a better marriage and I could help more people. That last one is an absolute killer to me. Because God helps people, not money. If you've ever said to yourself, if I won the, won the lottery, I'd help so many people. Let me tell you, God helps people, not money. Let me give you an example about this. Did, you know when the, the, the lame man came to Jesus, the deaf man came, the mute man, the, the man who was possessed by a demon. Did Jesus say, oh, I'll give you a whole shed load of money and then you'll be well? Then you'll be. Of course he didn't. Only God was able to help. These men and these women. And it's the same today. Money will not change anything to do with our lives. Honestly, it won't at all. Our lives need to be absorbed in him. We don't need more money. We need more of God. This church doesn't need more money. It needs more of God. Your, your life doesn't need more money. It just needs more of God. Just need a surrendered heart to God. And then God will do something amazing things with yours and mine and this church's life. Some of you are believing I can see some of you are looking at me thinking, I'm not sure this guy's from the same planet I am. I'm just going after it tonight. The spirit of mammon that has rested. And we've believed it, church. We've took, we've took it hook, line, and sinker. We've sucked it up. We believe the lies. And it is a lie. I didn't say this in this morning, but in a moment, we're going to move to point two. I'm going to allow Pastor Robert Morris. He's not a bad tag, actually. He's going to bring point two, and then I'm going to conclude it. But before we do that, I'm going to just want to say this to us. Some people may say, well, how do I know if I'm operating under this spirit? I want to say the worship, worship of mammon shows up in many ways. If you have a continual lust for more money, if you're envious of other people's wealth and possessions, you're anxious, over-anxious, over potentially unmet needs. If you disobey God's directive about money and stewardship, if you are thinking out of balance regarding wealth, it's a sure sign that the spirit of mammon is at work in our lives. This is what Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. God wants to break the spirit of mammon that is operating over many people's lives. The second question, because these are three questions, is money evil? And I'm going to allow Pastor Robert Morris to address this point, And then I'll come up and address the last question. Thank you. Question number two. Is money evil? Is money evil? Because Jesus said unrighteous mammon. Well, what he's talking about is a spirit. It's a spirit. I, let me just say again, mammon is a spirit. <laughs> uh, if, if mammon's not a spirit, how come it can talk? Because you, 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 try, you start to give an offering, and I'll bet you'll hear voices. <laughs> Mammon is a spirit that rests on money. 
I don't know if you ever thought about it. Can I tell you this? All money has a spirit on it. It either has the spirit of God on it or it has the spirit of mammon on it. All the money in your account right now either has God's spirit on it or the spirit of mammon. And the way you get God's spirit on it, according to scripture, is you give the first 10% to the house of God and God redeems the rest out from under the spirit of this world, which is the spirit of mammon. Why would you want the spirit of mammon on, on your money? So money, money's not evil. Money's neutral. You can do good with money, you can do bad with money. People say, well, but the Bible says that money's a root of all evil. It's not what it says. Here's what it says, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, in other words, they got under the spirit of mammon, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here, here's what I think he's saying. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. Now, look, look at this verse begin, uh, because it, it's, it's strange the way it reads and a lot of us don't understand it. Verse nine says, and I say to you, this is Jesus talking, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Okay, I have to admit to you, when I first read that as a new believer, I totally misunderstood it. It's, you know, I'm thinking of unrighteous mammon as just money, not, not a God or a spirit of greed. And, and I, so it said, make friends with money. That's what I thought it meant. So I thought it meant, you know, do uh, favors for other people, and then when you're in trouble, they'll, they'll do something for you. You know, that's what I thought. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, take this unrighteous mammon and redeem it by giving the first to the house of God and use this Use the money that Satan uses for evil. You use it for good and you use it to build the kingdom of God and people will get saved. They will become your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says when you fail, this word fail means die. means when you die, when you expire physically. Listen, and when you die, they these people who've come to Christ because you gave to the kingdom, listen, will welcome you into your eternal home. <laughs> That's what he's saying. In other words, there are going to be people in heaven that welcome me that say, I'm here because you gave. I know that a missionary came and brought the gospel to us, but I found out, because when heaven said, we're going to know things, I found out there were 47 people that supported that missionary, and you're one of the 47, and if you hadn't supported that missionary, I wouldn't be in the kingdom today. That, that's what he's talking about. See, God is the only one who can take unrighteous mammon and turn it into souls. True riches. That's what true riches are. Um, when I first got saved, um, if you remember, Debbie and I were married before I got saved. And, um, when I got saved, I wanted to witness, but I just, just, just couldn't quite do it. And, and was shy, if you can believe that. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, I got over it, but I got, I was shy. And, uh, so I remember when I found tracks. Now, I don't know how many of you remember tracks. How many of you remember tracks? Tracks 
were like little books that shared the gospel story. And I thought, see, I came out of drugs, so I thought, this is cool, because tracks used to be when the policeman said, okay, roll your sleeve up. And, <laughs> and I thought, wow, I don't know who came with the name of tracks. Must have been an ex-addict, but I, that's great. That's great. Go and share the gospel through tracks, you know. So, so anyway, so I would get these tracks, and I'd leave them on tables when we would eat. You know, I'd leave the tip inside. But nobody ever said anything. And so I remember thinking to myself, I'm, I'm just not leaving a big enough tip. And so I talked to Debbie about it. We prayed about it. We saved up. We did not have enough to do this. We left a $50 bill in a track one time. Our meal might have been $10, you know, and a $50 tip with the track. We go back to that restaurant a few weeks later, and this uh, lady that waited on us came up. She said, I've been waiting to talk to you. I read that little book, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And she said, and I called my husband and read it to him over the phone, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I got so excited, but I remember her, her wording struck me kind of oddly. I said, what do you mean you called your husband? I mean, was he at work or was he at home? And she put her head down and she said, he's in prison. Can I tell you something? I'm going to meet that guy one day. And he's going to say thank you for the $50 tip. Because I got saved because of that. By the way, a few years later, he got out of prison, and Debbie and I had the honor of, of seeing him and his wife get baptized, <laughs> simply because of that. See, what I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you is that God can actually take our money and turn it into souls. It is amazing. You can give to the church, and God can turn it into souls. It's phenomenal. So money is not evil. Said I'd do a tag with him. Money is not evil, it's neutral. But the question, the third question that I want to ask is this, that I want to pose to every one of us, is what then, in light of this, should we do with our money? What's our response? Well, there's some very practical things, and just in a few minutes, that's all I want to be here, as I just want to try and just really lay this into our hearts. If you're taking notes... There's just four words that I want to just say to you or just embed them in your mind and in your heart with regards to what you should do with your money. Be a good steward. Be a good steward. I have to confess to you tonight, I've not always been a good steward of of my money, particularly when I was single and just first job and always tithed. Not always was a good steward. I have to say that we've sought over many years now, to be good stewards of our money. But you might be here tonight and say, well, that's all well and good for you, Christian, and that's fine, but I have so little of this mammon to be concerned with a message like this. This has no relevance to me at all. Can I say to you lovingly that this way of thinking that you're thinking now is just so wrong? Because Jesus taught about this important truth. It's important. And the way that you think, the way that you think about this, I think will cause you to never have any more money. This is what the Bible says in verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. The first thing I want to say about this quickly is this. 
that we need to be faithful with the little. We need to be faithful with the little. If you've only got a little, be faithful with it. Be a good steward of it. Some people say to me, I only have a little bit so I don't tithe. I want to say, we all start tithing with very little. Would that not be true? Many of us started tithing with just a small amount of money. But as we have trusted God with that small amount of money, and as we've given the tenth to God out of that small pay packet that you first had, then God begins to say, these are the kind of people that I can trust with money. Because they're being faithful with little, and I'm going to give them some more. And as we're faithful with that, God begins to just pour out upon our lives. It's just how it works. Certainly in our life, how it's worked with us. And it's just continued to pour out upon us. Because it's the whole point of this of trust. Trust in Him. And Him trusting us. So we need to be faithful with the little. We also need to be faithful with the tithe. If I can take verse 12 and apply it into the context of tithe of tithing because it says there and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's who will give you what is your own the bible's very clear the 10 percent, god says that's mine that's holy that's consecrated that's set apart listen to me i've had all kinds of discussions with all kinds of christians well-meaning very mature, very experienced. I will, I am immovable on this point. New Testament, Old Testament, all the rest of it. In this series, you'll have to look at it again. I can prove tithing in the New Testament. Matthew 23, verse 23. Just look at it for yourself. So I'm immovable on this. Okay. God says, give me the first 10%. It's reserved. And if we take verse 12 as an application, if you have not been Faithful with another man's, who will give you what is your own? If we are not faithful with the 10%, who's going to give us more? God is not going to give us more. We need to be faithful with the tithe. We need to be faithful with what is little. And I believe that if we will do that, the application of this is found in verse 11 very quickly. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches. As we prove to be faithful with the little and with the tithe, then God will give us responsibility over that which is true riches. And let me tell you, true riches are not multimillionaire, a billionaire, you know, kind of thing. True riches are people. Let me underline that. True riches are people. The only thing that's going to be lasting when, when, when the world is ended, when Jesus comes back again, he says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So that beautiful house that you've built, that beautiful car that you've got, that beautiful dress that you've got, that jewelry that's been passed down from generation to generation, it's all going to be burnt up. Sorry, guys. And true riches is all about souls. And if we will be faithful with a little, if we will be faithful with the tithe, then I believe that God will give us true riches. I think this is a burning, burning message for Arena Church. I'm not sure we've grabbed it yet, 
I'm really not sure we've grabbed it because we are praying for thousands. We are praying for towns to be transformed. God will not give us true riches until we have handled the finances. When we've been faithful with little, when we've been faithful with the tithe, then God says, I will now give you true riches, which are people. Have you got this? About eight of you have got it. (laughs) I really believe this with all my heart. And I, for one, want to be faithful with the little. I want to be faithful with the tithe. Because I want to see heaven populated... And I want to see, to quote Reinhard Bonnke, that great German evangelist, hell plundered. And I believe that can be helped by our offerings. As we heard, I believe that as we give, lives are transformed. We will do it here. We haven't done it here, I don't think, for a number of years. We have a lady in our church, in our Ilkeston campus, who works for Compassion. Numbers of you will support Compassion Children or other children. It's a wonderful, wonderful work. And I was reflecting on this message and reflecting on what we do. I don't say it as a boast, but, you know, we, we sponsored one little girl years ago. Her name's Mary, and we, we sponsor her. She's in Uganda. We've seen her go from wearing a dad's shoes to now having her own shoes and her own pretty dress. We know that we're not just influencing her. We're influencing a family. We had the joy of then taking on another two so we've got, a re- we ain't just four of us, there's seven of us, crikey, in our house. And one day we'd love to see them, meet them. So we've got another boy called Peter and another boy called James, three of them. We have the joy, many of you have the joy of supporting, sponsoring, helping, writing to, blessing those children. I believe, I really believe with all my heart, what we heard from, it's not just emotion and sentiment. I really believe that actually heaven will tell its own story of how we handled our finances and what we did with it. And if I can say that's why we are incredibly proud of Arena Church. Once a month, we give a huge offering away. We sow it internationally. We sow it nationally. More often than not, it never comes to our own Arena Church. We just give it away to needs and situations, missionaries, missionary organizations around the world. You've literally given tens of thousands of pounds away on top of your giving to bless others. Heaven will tell its own story. I want to be for one. You know, really involved in true riches, which is people, rather than just taking care of my bank account. I wonder if we bow our heads. There's so much more that could be said.